Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network. Positively different radio wherever you are. My name is Liam. We're, we're almost back to live shows. We're almost there. One more day, one more show with, with me and, <laughs> and you guys will be back with the live shows. Um, now, it's been, it's been a pretty, it's been, it's been a nice start to the year. We've done well. Um, and, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to seeing what the, this year has in store for everyone. Um, today's show, much like the, the, the last couple of shows, we have got a best of show. So we've got a couple of encounters with God. We've got one of our favorite interviews. It's uh, one of my favorite, actually. It's one that I got to do with, uh, Pastor Daniel Mateo from Tasmania. And we've also got a couple of really great questions from question of the day throughout the year. And yeah, some some really quality stuff. But uh, kicking it off, kicking us off this morning, we've got the encounter with God, and this one is with Lyle and Minnie. They're going to be carrying you through the show this morning. So yeah, we're gonna we're just gonna move straight on to that. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. We're back, guys, into Encounter with God time here on Faith FM. That means we're getting to our 20 million movement Bible study. And, of course, if you're struggling to get uh, reception wherever you are for Faith FM, then simply grab the Faith FM Australia app. Uh, We recommend this to everybody. It's the best way to listen to Faith FM. It's the way people listen to the radio these days. You need to just catch up and get with the times. (laughs) Run it through your car stereo and you'll have a great reception wherever you go. Perfect reception wherever you go. That's the one. Right around the world. I've listened, to, I've listened to Faith FM in Ethiopia. I've listened to Faith FM, and like that's one of the poorest countries. Didn't you guys I've, run Faith we FM? We ran Faith Ethiopia? FM yeah. from Ethiopia. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, and we've I've listened to it in the United States, one of the most developed countries in the world. Hmm. Faith FM app is amazing. It's actually amazing what technology has changed in our world for things like that. Yes. Right? <laughs> it was only, what, 20 years ago, if you wanted to listen to the radio, you had to switch your radio on and twist the little twisty thing yeah. until you, your channel came in. Yeah, yeah. Not so anymore. Just hit that button on your phone and away it goes. Absolutely. All right, today we are talking about wise men and women. Uh, the words for school, study, education are clearly understood in our time, but they are not common in the Bible. There is one word, wisdom or wise, which is much more common. The Old Testament makes mention of wise men and wise women. Let's go to First Kings chapter 4. We've got a bit of a passage to read here. Uh, we're going to start in verse 29. So First Kings chapter 4 and verse 29. Many go for us. God gave Solomon very great wisdom and understanding, and knowledge as vast as the sands of the seashore. Okay. Would you like to have that? Be pretty ideal. It would, wouldn't it? Yeah. It would kind of make your <laughs> uh, your life right now at university maybe a little bit yeah, easier. Yeah, yeah. I think life in general. <laughs> life in general? Absolutely. All right, but is wisdom on its own enough? Well, often wisdom and understanding seem to go together. Okay. Did Solomon ever lose his wisdom? He got, he received this gift of wisdom from God. Did he ever lose it? Uh, he didn't seem to act upon it a lot by the by the end. No, but did he but lose he it? Didn't, well, we have no indication that he did. No, he never lost his wisdom. Yeah. Which right is the way through. crazy to think. It is crazy. Because of kind of where things went to and and I'm like that was not wise. Bro. Okay, so let's talk like, about where things went to. 
He ends up with a harem of a thousand wives. Yeah. Not uncommon for, you know, royalty in those days. But not wise. But not wise. No. Not a smart thing to do. No. Definitely something in which he knew better. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had the example of his father who'd had, you know, a number of wives. But not that many. But not a thousand. But still dysfunctional. I mean, these were all political alliances, obviously. Uh, that was how it was done back in the day. But a thousand, really? Mm-hmm. And how much of a disaster was it for his father who had a fraction that many? Mm-hmm. And then we find that, you know, some of his wives were idolaters. And so he brings idolatry into God's church. And then he ends up worshipping idols himself. Mm. It's like, really? You know, you've got an intelligent person who's, you know, as the Bible says, you know, a person cuts down a tree. Uh, it says this in the book of Isaiah. A person cuts down a tree and with one end of the tree he cuts it into firewood and warms himself. And with the other end of the tree he carves it into a god and worships it. Hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It really reveals just how ridiculous idolatry is. Yeah. And, yeah, when... You look at Solomon, he was the wisest man that ever lived, Mm. but wisdom on its own is not enough. Mm. He never lost that wisdom, but what he did lose was his his connection with God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wisdom on its own without a connection with God, it's not enough. All right, where do we get up to? Let's read a bit more. Mm -hmm. Verse 30 I'm going to read. Uh, Okay, so in fact, his wisdom exceeded that of all the wise men of the East and the wise men of Egypt. Okay, stop there. Mm. Uh, the Bible says the wise men of the East and the wise men of Egypt. Yes. When the Bible speaks about those two different places, you're talking about uh, the two greatest civilizations on the planet at, at the that time. particular time. Mm. So you're talking about uh, the Tigris-Euphrates River Valley system where you have you know, massive monuments from Solomon's day right down to this day. Mm. Still existing. You can still go there and visit it. Incredible feats of engineering and mathematics and science. A lot of it that we have never ever, you know, a lot of uh, engineering puzzles and so forth that we have never ever been able to solve today. If you go to Egypt, Egypt is on another scale altogether mm-hmm. because here you've got a, uh, a climate which is zero humidity and zero rain. And so everything is just preserved. Yeah, yeah. Nothing disappears. You can see <laughs> things that are, you know, two, three thousand years old, and they're not really that much different from the day that they were made. Hmm. And you can see there engineering feats that boggle the mind and have never, ever been explained. Hmm. No one has ever been able to understand how they were able to accomplish the things that they accomplished. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And the Bible says that Solomon's wisdom exceeded exceeds the, all this. It exceeds all that. Yeah. The Bible talks about all of the different things that he writes about and these studies and you know all the different things that he was into. This was a guy that was just consuming knowledge, you know, as as fast as he could get it. Let's keep reading. Okay, so he was wiser than anyone else, including Ethan the Ezrahite and the sons of Mahol, Heman, Kalkol, and Dada. 
His fame spread throughout all the surrounding nations. He composed some 3,000 proverbs and wrote 1,005 songs. He could speak with authority about all kinds of plants, from the great cedar of Lebanon to the tiny hyssop that grows from cracks in the wall. He could also speak about animals, birds, small creatures, and fish, and kings from every nation sent their ambassadors to listen to the wisdom of Solomon. He would be an amazing person to just be in his presence. Yeah, absolutely. So he was uh, was an incredible naturalist. Mm. He obviously did a tremendous amount of research, yeah. And he wasn't just satisfied with researching, okay, let's research, you know, the great cedars of Lebanon and find out how they grow and what makes them tick and, you know, maybe how we can make them grow better and how we can produce better timber from them and so forth. And, you know, how do they get their sustenance and their nutrients and, you know, wh- what kind of soil do they need to grow in or anything like that. It, it, it wasn't just commercial. Mm. Because when the Bible speaks, he spoke about, you know, hyssop that grew out of a crack in the stone yeah. wall. This was something that he was actually doing deeply interested in. Yeah. He wanted to know mm. how does this work? What does it do? Mm-hmm. And so he studies it in depth. He was uh, not just studying about uh, things that were of commercial interest. He was just studying things that were just interesting to him. Mm. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just you know plant life. Obviously, he's studying about animals and so forth here as well. And then the Bible says, what are the, what are the leaders of the world doing here? Well, they want to come and learn and listen. Absolutely. And you've got the story of the Queen of Sheba who turns up mm-hmm. and comes all the way from Ethiopia uh, and, and, and arrives there you know, with a great retinue of people just for the purpose of Solomon's fame mm. for wisdom. Yeah. You know, we get some geniuses every now and then. It's kind of like, yeah, there's kind of one genius or two geniuses sort of every generation, but... He was the genius of all level. generations, yeah. of a whole new level altogether. All right, we've got more about Solomon in just a moment. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Okay, so how many proverbs did he write? Well, it says about 3,000, doesn't it? Yeah, and how many do we have in our Bible? Not that many. About 30 chapters? Yeah. Not that many. Uh, and songs. Mm-hmm. How many songs does he write? Here's his a thousand. I don't. I, thousand we know five. We, thousand five. Yeah, we know we've got Song of Solomon, like the book. Yes. But that's definitely nowhere near that. That's one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there are several psalms. There's like what, yes. five or six psalms that were written by Solomon. Yeah. Maybe more. I can't remember how many. But still minute to the amount that he wrote. So there's a tremendous amount mm. of both songs and proverbs from Solomon that has been lost to history. We just don't have it anymore. Tremendous amount of wisdom right there. Okay, so when it comes to the context of education, we talk about redemption being the uh, foundation of education, all true education being uh, education in the plan of redemption. Does that mean that education is limited to the plan of salvation? Because obviously we start studying this in the context of education, Solomon is held up to us an example of an educated person. Does he limit his education to the plan of salvation? No, but it's still part of it. Yes. So he's studying plants and animals and all kinds of random things just because he wants knowledge. Yeah. That is related to redemption, but it's not about redemption. Mm. The great thing about Solomon is that he is a good example of why 
the foundation of education and all true, true education is about redemption mm. and the plan of redemption. Because here you have somebody who was incredibly educated and yet he comes to his life and it was, it was all vanity. Yeah. It was all meaningless. Yeah. You know, I learned all this stuff, but it was all meaningless because he didn't know Jesus. Yeah. And when he realizes that, he sees his relationship with God in its true context. And it's like, well, you know, I could I could speak about animals and I could speak about plants and I could speak about cedars of Lebanon and I could speak about, you know, his that springs from the crack in the stone wall and I could, you know, and all of the world was sending their ambassadors to me to hear of my wisdom and the Queen of Sheba came up and visited me herself mm. and it was all just vanity. Yeah. It was all just pride. It was all just me. It was all meaningless. Without God. And I was going to say, and yet you could have exactly the same knowledge, but tie that knowledge with the knowledge of God and your personal response to God. Oh, man, what a powerhouse. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Like, Absolutely. You can, you can be someone who knows all the interesting things. And I, like, I'm someone, I'm like, oh, wow, you know, I once listened to someone talk for 20 minutes about ants because they were so excited. I was like, this is amazing. I would never think to research ants. They're interesting. But I'm not like, oh, I need to go find out. But they were excited, so I was like, this is fascinating. Um, ants are fascinating. They are actually fascinating. Solomon wrote about ants. Eh? Yes. Interesting. Absolutely. Oh, but do you know what I mean? Like, they just, you know, it's knowledge and it's interesting. He said, go to the ant, uh, thou sluggard, and <laughs> learn of her ways. True, true. Um, but you tie that with the who God is and the how that thing's here and the, that big picture of God as our creator who also wants to be known by us and to redeem us, that shifts something, I think. For me, it does. It does. And if you look at scientists who have managed to combine mm. these two together, if you look at, say, for instance, someone like Sir Isaac Newton, who was the most influential scientist who ever lived, and I don't know if you've ever tried to wrap your brain around some of the stuff that he came up with, but if you do, it's going to seriously bend your mind. I mean, this guy had a brain that worked on just an entirely different level than the average human being. Yeah. And, you know, he only actually, you know, he's their most influential scientist who ever lived. He wrote a tremendous about, about science. His, 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 his discoveries were just ridiculously outstanding. Mm. And yet... He didn't study that science or, or teach science for very much of his life. It was only a very short portion of his life. Yeah, interesting. You know, and then he discovered the Bible and was like, well, that's way more interesting. Hmm. And for the, you know, the last 30 years of his life, he just, he just studied the Bible and wrote about the Bible. He wrote more about the Bible than he ever did about science. Do you think, and I'm not saying this, this is like a bit of a side tangent, but do you think because of his exploration and curiosity and discovery, that kind of opened his heart and mind to God as who he was? Does that make sense? Like, because I just think that in finding out those things, because, yeah, it's incredible some of the things. He was like, oh, yeah. And we now are like, oh, yeah, just the scientists. But I'm like, nah, for you to personally have learnt that, and it would blow his mind, I'm sure. But he's like, nah, this can be a thing. We could do this. We could do the elections. We could do that, you know. I just feel like God has a heart of an artist, a creator, a you know, engineer. An engineer, all of these amazing things. And I think when you personally experience that and are exposed to that, it opens your heart to him even more a bit. Like, 
Yeah, I don't know. I just feel like there's a connection between Yeah, no, them. I couldn't agree more. Mm. I, I absolutely agree. That's exactly, you know, and, you know, Sir Isaac Newton had the advantage of living in an era when the reality of God was assumed and because the yes. reality of God was assumed and he's studying science within the assumption of the reality of God. That's true. Then, of course, it just points him straight to God. Yes. Yeah, that's true. Whereas in our era, uh, the non-existence of God is assumed in science and so when people study science... It just confuses them because there is no God and they don't find the answers that Sir Isaac Newton was able to discover mm. because they are limited by a denial of the existence of God. Yes. And science could be so much more advanced today if people recognised and factored in the existence of God to their discoveries. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, there's nothing in empirical science that in any way denies God. No. Historical science, yeah, those guys, they get into denial of God, but not empirical science. Mm. Empirical science actually reveals God and it should point people in the direction of God and of a creator and of a designer mm. because we just have the most amazing engineering in all aspects of our world. Okay, let's go to, oh, why don't we have a look at some of the, uh, let's have a look at some of the wise things that Solomon said. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 1. Why don't you read that one for us, please, Minnie? All righty. I actually really like Proverbs. Yeah, it's kind of cool. Yeah. It's one of those books where you can have a one verse yeah. devotions. Yeah, it's true, eh? Well, what am I reading? One verse. One. Oh, one verse one. These are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. Okay, there you go. It yep. introduces it right there. And, uh, of course, these are the Proverbs that... Oh, actually, read us a couple more verses. Okay, their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline, to help them understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives and to help them do what is right, just, and fair. Yeah, okay. So he outlines the purpose of... Yeah. This is why I'm going to write Proverbs down. And, of course, this is something that he's doing at the end of his life. Mm. So he begins out strong. He starts strong. He receives the gift of wisdom from God. He builds the temple. He worships God. God honors, honors him. And then he marries all these wives. They turn his heart away from God. He spends a huge portion of his life. The bulk of his life is very, very far from God. And at the end of his life, he realizes this was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. He comes back to God and he finds true meaning in his life. And um, as a result of that, he... He uh, uh, he writes the book of Proverbs and he and, and he writes it. Look, you know, this is so that you can have wisdom and discipline, mm. because those two things go together. Yes, they are intimately intimately related to each other and cannot be separated from each other. Wisdom and discipline. Yeah. In fact, discipline is kind of it's a form of wisdom. Yes. Something I find interesting about Proverbs is like just in in the context of what you just said about how it's kind of the end of his life that he's saying this. There are so many verses you have in here where he's like, you know, my son, listen to what I'm saying. Hey, my child, like, don't disregard this. You know, it's almost like there's this little plea there to be like, come on, like this, this is important. Like, (laughs) I need you to get what I'm saying. You know, I've been there and done that. (laughs) Yeah. He's like, please don't not listen and then just get into foolishness and fall into a mess you don't need to get into. All right, let's go to chapter 25 and Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 1. This is an interesting uh, little um, tidbit here that people might be unfamiliar with. These are more Proverbs of Solomon collected by the advisors of King Hezekiah of Judah. Okay, so this is interesting because when King Hezekiah comes to power, 
he's obviously looking for and searching for, okay, whereabouts are all of these proverbs? Where mm-hmm. did they go to? Some of them sort of got lost for a while. And um, so he set his servants to the work to find as many as they could. And so they found more. Found more. There was 3,000, so obviously he didn't find them all, but yeah. he found some more. And thankfully they're recorded for us today so that we can listen to them and read them. This is uh, Keith and Kristen Getty with The Perfect Wisdom of Our God. The Perfect Wisdom of Our God Revealed in all the universe All things created by His hand And held together at His command He knows the mysteries of the seas The secrets of the stars are His He guides the planets on their way And turns the earth through another day The matchless wisdom of His ways That mark the path of righteousness His word a lamp unto my feet His Spirit teaching and guiding me And all the mystery of the cross That God should suffer for the lost So that the fool might shame the wise And all the glory might go to Christ
You're listening to Keith and Kristen Getty with the perfect wisdom of our God. This is The Breakfast Show. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's see here. We are in Proverbs. Let's go to Proverbs 31 and verse 1. Oh, the old Proverbs 31. This is a good chapter. Yes. It used to annoy me when I was a teenager. People were like, we are looking for a Proverbs 31 woman. I was like, okay, well, you be a godly man then. Like, don't, yeah, that's right. <laughs> don't, don't chuck that out there. Uh-huh, and then. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, but Proverbs 31 verse 1 just says, The sayings of King Lemuel contain this message which his mother taught him. Okay, so there you go. You've got the prophecy of King Lemuel. Yeah. Oh, who Lemuel. Is, okay. Whatever. Yep. So who's King Lemuel and who is his mother? Do you know? You would know. I don't well, know. Well, here's the thing. If you, if you look through the Bible chronology, there's no king of either Israel or Judah the by the name of Lemuel. Mm-hmm. Or if you look through ancient chronologies, there is no king of Assyria or Syria or uh, Phoenicia or there's no King Lemuel. He is, just doesn't exist. No such thing. So do you know anything about the history of where he comes from? Okay, so the word Lemuel simply means a man consecrated to God. Oh. And according to Jewish tradition, this was just another another name for Solomon. That feels like a stitch-up. Just say Solomon. Yeah, well, you know, it was kind of his mother's pet name for him. Oh, okay. And she's giving him all this advice right here. Right. So here's my next question. You've got a whole chapter here, Mm -hmm. which comes from Bathsheba. Ooh, I've never thought about it like that. I was so is that. Bathsheba a prophetess or is Solomon the prophet? Now, we know Solomon's a prophet because he writes you know, mm-hmm. large portions of the Bible mm-hmm. and the Bible comes to us through the gift of prophecy by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Yes. But Solomon writes this down, but it came from his mother. So who is the inspired one? Look, can it not be some sort of both? <laughs> can it be some sort of both? <laughs> no, well, like, obviously there's an element that she is a follower of God, right? We know yes. this. Oh, clearly, from this passage. Exactly. And oh, was it in Timothy we were reading yesterday about, hey, keep following the things that you've been taught from your childhood? Yes. So if you're going to raise your child with godly whatever, you have to have that. I don't know how to answer your question. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, just me talking my way and be like, maybe I'll come to an answer. <laughs> maybe if enough words come out of my mouth, something <laughs> might make sense. <laughs> something will land, and then sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> okay, so we don't know. No, we, we don't, don't know, know whether Bathsheba um, was a prophetess and whether this was God speaking through Bathsheba, but that is not necessary for this particular passage to be part of the Bible because there are a number of other instances in the Bible where Bible writers quote from very, very clearly uninspired sources. Yeah. And quote them in the Bible. Yeah. In what they're writing. That does not make that passage or that verse or that phrase, whatever it might be, uninspired. Well, it also can't because the Bible says all scripture is inspired by God. That's right. And I'm just like, well, God wouldn't allow it to remain in his word. What it does mean is that passage or that verse or that phrase has now been taken from uninspiration and mm. placed into inspiration. Yeah. Because the prophet does not just speak by uh, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The prophet also selects information by the gift of the Holy Spirit. Mm. And this is an important differentiation that we need to make because sometimes people will get very confused over it. It's like, well, you know, um, well, everybody who wrote in the Bible was inspired. Well, no, there's a whole bunch of people whose words are recorded in the Bible 
that were very, very clearly not inspired and had nothing to do with God and were very, very much against God. And so um, you can't go down that path. It's a very, very dangerous path to go down. However, what you can do is um, demonstrate that when a person's material that is uninspired material is quoted by somebody under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, then those words are brought into the context of inspiration. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm picking up what you're putting down. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so we've got, uh, we've got all of this uh, material here that has been gathered together, mm. uh, the wisdom of Solomon, and... Uh, in this case, the wisdom of Solomon through his mother Bathsheba, where you know she gives a woman's perspective on, okay, Solomon, this is how you go out and find a Which he didn't really woman. seem to do, actually, from what we talked about earlier. Well, he did and he didn't. Right. Because you've got Song of Solomon, right? Uh-huh. Which is the story of Solomon's first wife. How do you know it's the first? Okay, so we don't know. But according to, once again, according to Jewish tradition and right. according to, okay, so let's put the evidence that we have to, together. Mm-hmm. This is a book of the Bible. Yes. So, so, so we've got it from Jewish history, right? So Jewish history said, yeah, this was Solomon's first wife. She died young. She died in childbirth. And it was after that that he kind of fell apart and, um, you know, was inconsolable in grief, tried to get himself back to normal by marrying heaps and heaps of wives, ended up in idolatry, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Um, so that's that's Jewish tradition. All right, what do we have that actually backs up the Jewish tradition? Here's what we've got. This book is a part of the Bible. Yes. This book would not be a part of the Bible if Solomon, if it had been an adulterous story. Hmm. So yeah. very, very clearly when Solomon is involved in this relationship, it is not an adulterous relationship. He doesn't have another wife when this story takes place. Right. So was his first wife or was his second or was his third? I don't know. But we do know this. He doesn't have another wife when this story takes place because this is a story of a righteous mm. relationship. I love it. It's one of my favorite books. Oh, yeah. Bible. It's amazing. Yeah. Mm. Um, it, so not as it just the story of a righteous relationship. What it does is that, okay, well, if you look at then the Jewish tradition, the Jewish history of Song of Solomon, you have to ask yourself, okay, what is the likelihood that this was Solomon's first wife? And the likelihood is then very, very high. Yeah. It's very, very much smaller that this was his second or his third or whatever, and that he'd had a couple of previous wives already that had died. Mm. Now, mortality rate for women was high in those days, particularly in childbirth and so forth. But it would be very, very unlikely if the Jewish history was wrong on this account. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's something that we can put a lot of credibility in. And mm. uh, how do we get sidetracked onto that? Look, that might have been my fault. <laughs> like, um... But yeah, we were talking about the wisdom of Solomon and how you know Solomon did lose it, but yes. he started off so great and. You know, when you read Song of Solomon, he was obviously following the wisdom of his mother Bathsheba. Oh, oh yes. That's and so when we've got this pat passage right here in Proverbs chapter 31, mm. it's like, okay, Solomon, this is, this, is, this is how you sort your life out. This is how you find your partner, etc., etc., etc. Solomon's like, yep, been there, done that, and I've got a whole book on that, but uh, the process of how to get there and who to look for, let me write it down here. Mm. Yeah. But I like what you said earlier. If you're going to find a Proverbs 31 wife... <laughs> You gotta be Proverbs oh. thirty one worthy. <laughs> and that was Are you Proverbs thirty one worthy? worthy? Yeah. 
This Look, is a big question. That was just a teenager being like annoyed at how many males were saying that. I was like, you shush. Like, <laughs> that's all that was. Nah, there's some great things in, in, uh, in the book of Proverbs. Oh, yeah. And, of course, Solomon said, Remember your creator in the days of your, your youth before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you'll say, I find no pleasure in them. Mm. And what wisdom there is there for every young person.
Hey, Minnie. Yeah? Where are you? I'm not here. Well, then how are you on air? I can hear you. Where are you? I'm just away living life, living the dream. What are you up to? Well, I'm kind of away living life, living the dream too. And we hope that you are away living life, living the dream, and living that dream with Jesus Christ right now. Absolutely. But that you still are tuning into Faith FM. We've got the best of shows. And we're going to be back on January 5th. We're going to be back on December 5th. January 5th. January 5th, yes. We will return. <laughs> January 5th. December might be a little bit far away. <laughs> but it'll be a good time what it is. We'll be back on December 5th. No, January, let me get it again. January 5th. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll be back on January 5th. We will speak to you guys then. <laughs> Stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene And wonder how he could love me A sinner condemned unclean How marvelous, how wonderful song shall ever be how marvelous how wonderful is my Savior's love for me He took my sins and my sorrows burden to Calvary and suffered and died Shall ever be How marvelous 
back, guys. It's Liam with you this morning. Coming up next, we have got an interview that I actually got to do uh, from earlier on in the year. I got to sit down with a good friend of mine, Pastor Daniel Mateo, who is the Youth Director for the Tasmanian Conference of the Seventh-day Adventist Church down in down south. So, so good day to all those people down there. And it's a really, really powerful interview where he talks about his journey, his journey of faith, uh, as well as a little bit of his struggle with pornography, which I think is something that a lot of people, although we might not to admit, is something that we struggle with. It's a lot. It's something that a lot of people do struggle with. And um, so this this interview coming up next is a really, really powerful interview on that. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Now, this morning, we are joined by uh, Daniel Matteo, who is the Youth Director for the Adventist Church in Tasmania. Uh, Good morning, Daniel. How how are you? Good, thanks, mate. Good to be here. That's good. Um, Now, this morning, we are going to be talking about another pretty heavy topic, which is porn and the effects of porn that it can have on people and and the world, and especially over the recent times. So, um, can you just... What is uh, to begin with? What is what is your sort of journey been with porn over over your life? Mm. Yeah, no, thanks for asking, mate. Um, so, first of all, you know, it's just, you're right; it is a heavy topic, and uh, for me, you know, I'm um, I'm happy to admit that uh, that I'm a recovered pornography addict, and uh, when I say that. Um, some people kind of look at me sideways and go, how can you get addicted to something that isn't, you know, an actual substance? And uh, in actual fact, um, you you can develop addictions to things that aren't substances. People get addicted to all sorts of things that give them a high or a buzz. But in particular, um, as it pertains to any kind of sexual experience, um, it can it's addictive because of the, the substances that your brain releases when you have those, those experiences. So, you know, there's all sorts of chemicals, in your brain that God's created to, to bond um, or that are re- released in your brain when, that God's created to bond a husband and a wife together. And um, and sometimes it's possible when we have experiences that are outside of God's will uh, for us that we can develop addictions and dependencies on, um, I guess, on that. And, uh, and, yeah, it's sort of very, very similar to some sort of drug that you'd actually put into your body. So, um yeah, have you got any? Like, did you want to ask me anything about that before I kind of tell you? I guess a bit about my journey with it. Or? Um, no, uh, uh, just we're, we're more than happy to just uh, hear your journey. Yeah, yeah, no, cool. Well, yeah. So when I was thirteen years old, um, I was uh, playing with a robot toy that my mother had given to me uh, with a mate that uh, that uh, lived next door, and he said to me, "Man, I really want that toy," you know, and. Um, and he said, I'm willing to swap you something that I got from a friend at school. And I was like, okay, fair enough. What is that? And uh, and he pulled out these magazines that had a whole bunch of pictures in them of women that weren't wearing any clothes. And uh, I was like, didn't really know what it was. It was like a little bit shocking to me, but also <laughs> it was also, you know, <clears throat> intriguing. I was I was interested, you know, as a young as a young kid, you know, and as a developing kid in these things. So I swapped this for a toy. It's the first time I was ever exposed to it, and it just really changed the way that I thought, changed the way that I thought about women. It also, um, <clears throat> I guess, it changed and transformed the way that um, my mind dealt with um, with hard hard times or stress, because every time. Every time I went through any sort of difficulty or stress um, in high school, I'd sort of go back to these magazines. And this is before the internet was like a massive thing, like it was around, but not many people had it, you know. So um, it was sort of 
more printed kind of material. But particularly when I joined the army, um, I found that porn was everywhere. But um, <clears throat> when they uh, sent me on operations, I, uh, I went through a bit of a traumatic sort of experience where I was, you well, not only was I kind of constantly, you know, a little bit afraid about the external situation, I was experiencing some um, some targeted, well, what you might call workplace bullying, what we call in the army bastardization from a, from an immediate superior and sort of this idea of never feeling safe you know he made kind of death threats a couple of times and, and uh, this idea of never feeling safe kind of led me to really internalize my pain and i felt like i focused it all instead of turning it to god i sort of focused on on a, on a what i felt was an escape and that's when my addiction was really solidified so it got to the point where if pornography said jump i jumped that was it you know once i got that feeling when my blood was running and my mouth was watering um i just uh, i just couldn't say no so it just controlled my whole life yeah mm. yeah so that went on um until uh, right up until i was um, well funnily enough I, I kind of had turned my back on god after that period but i started coming back to church um and uh what i found was even i guess when i gave my life to god i, I didn't sort of have victory in this particular area of my life it was a real struggle and uh, I ran into the woman that I wanted to marry and uh, and God sort of spoke to me and said you know you're really going to let this woman marry you without telling her what you really are and uh, and so at that point you know we had an internet connection and everything and uh, and I with a lot of shame uh, told her that you know I had this problem and I couldn't seem to get past it. And, uh, yeah, she insisted on looking at my browser history, which was, yeah, pretty much the most shameful moment of my whole life. Um, I'm not really sure why she chose to sort of go through with a wedding after that, but, um, yeah, she did. And uh, I, I sort of started a bit of a battle in myself. Um, I read a book uh, by, uh, by an Adventist pastor named Bernie Anderson called Breaking the Silence, and in that book, I, for the first time ever, I got the sense that maybe it was possible to overcome this thing. I'd, I'd somewhat got comfortable with the idea of the ups and the downs, you know, like you go okay for a while and then you fall. And I sort of thought that that was just the way that it had to be, basically, for always. But um, this guy was talking in this book about how it's really that God's able to give you power to overcome. And that was actually really scary to me. Um, it was scary because when you use when you use an addiction or an escape to deal with your pain or with um, any kind of stress or that happens in your life, when you think about a time in the future where you're never ever going to have that again, that you're never going to have that crutch to fall back on, it's uh, it's really scary. And I could, I guess, cope with the idea of going for a little while without it, but my whole life in total victory was, was um, something that if I was honest with myself, I didn't really want. So, uh, so I had to start praying this prayer. Don't, um, Lord, I don't want to win, but I want to want to win. So I need you to change me, so that I want to want to win. And, um, and, and, you know, if you'll do that, then I'll be yours. And so, going through these this kind of time when my wife became my accountability partner and God became my power and my strength. What's funny is when you make a decision that you're really going to beat this thing is that the enemy throws everything that he can at you. And um, at that time, I was, I'd got out of the army and I was in the security industry and I was working at a tradies office 
um, um, on a Sunday. I'd do, be doing, I'd do 12 hours of overtime. And this tradies office, um, you know, just like just being there, so it didn't get broken into. They didn't flog their tools or whatever. And uh, this tradies office actually backed onto a um, onto a news agency uh, skip, uh, sort of business there, and they had their skip bins. The news agency would get all this porn, and if they didn't sell it, they threw it into the skip, and the tradies would go out and grab it. So this office was just full of porn. So I'd I'd be stuck in this office for twelve hours. You know, I needed the money. I wanted to do the overtime, but. I'd just be stuck there on my own, no one around, stacks of porn everywhere. And that was that was where the real battle was. That went on for about 12 months. My wife would drop me off in the morning and we'd pray together. And I'd go there. First thing I would do is go around and cover up everything with newspapers so that I couldn't see anything. And I'd just sit there and study my Bible for 12 hours and pray and beg God for power. And um, at the end of it, my wife would pick me up and she'd say, how did we go today, you know? And uh, sometimes I was I was happy to see her, and sometimes I was ashamed. Um, but uh, I found after after about twelve months, I I kind of realised that my victories were getting more frequent, and my losses were getting less frequent. And after a while, I was like, man, it's been three months, and then it's been twelve months, and then and now I look back, and it's been thirteen years, you know. So it's just amazing how God can step in with his power, you know, not of yourself, but with his power and give you one victory at a time, one step at a time, one day at a time uh, until you walk with him into the kingdom. So, yeah, um, that's kind of where I come from. And I always tell people that there's an equation to overcoming any struggle in your life, and that is that divine power plus human support equals spiritual growth. Yeah. Mm. So. Amen. No, that's a, that's certainly a, a very powerful uh, testimony there. Um, so, that was one way that what the one way that I got from that that you um, sort of overcame your addiction to, to pornography was was through the word and, and through the support of other people and the, the, the turning to God. How important is the the support from other people and and turning to God? How important are those factors in uh, anyone's trying and trying to overcome an addiction? Yeah, it's super important. <clears throat> um, one of the things that yeah, that I think is a really important step towards overcoming really anything. And, you know, it's it's very true, particularly in these times of, um, I guess, social isolation, that we're, it's natural for us to turn because of boredom. You know, we've got less things to entertain our time that we're going to be turning more and more to. Addictions, perhaps, that aren't substance-based, you know, that are kind of like entertainment or, um, you know, in this case, pornography-based. So, um, But to admit that you've got a problem, to actually take responsibility and say, you know, this is actually a problem for me is a lot of times half the battle. You know, one of the big, I guess, um, one of the big struggles or obstacles about addiction is that it deceives you into thinking that you're fine. Like you think that you've got it, you know, you think it's not a problem. Um, and to actually admit, you know what, this is negatively affecting my relationships. It's neg- negatively affecting my mind. It's ne- negatively affecting my pocket. I'm, 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 my life is going backwards because of this thing in so many different ways and to actually accept that reality and say, I have a problem, I need help and to admit that to another person um, is really, really important and massive. You asked about human support, like to have an accountability partner, you know, somebody that's willing to be honest and ask you tough questions, you know, um, is is super important because it gives you a consequence you know, to your actions, which you don't necessarily have, um, or it, let's say, isn't immediately obvious to you at other times. 
Yeah, just a quick question there, uh, Daniel. Not sure whether uh, okay. If you, hopefully you can hear me all right on on this system, but the question that I've got in my mind is: as as Christians, we understand that pornography is wrong. Jesus said, you know, you should not lust. Um, however, from from a secular perspective, most people see pornography as being something that is entirely natural and normal. And so, how would you answer a secular person? Who says, "Well, what is actually wrong with porn? What is damaging about porn? Why would I want to give this up?" Well, you know, in, in actual fact, that what you just said there used to be the common belief, but just from pure, pure experiential life has caused um, there to be a massive movement against pornography and and in the secular world. Um, and the reason is that people have just experienced that this destroys your life, this destroys your marriage, this destroys your, your view of women, it destroys, well, you know, and in case of women, your view of relationships, um, it destroys your self-image. Um, there's <clears throat> so many different things. And so in actual fact, um, there's all sorts of secular movements that have nothing to do with God whatsoever that just, um, that are trying to help people and support people towards freedom from this. And so let me, let me put it this way. Um, I believe that, um, that, uh, as men, you know, um, biologically we have a little bit more testosterone than women. And as a result, there's a protective, I believe there's a protective role to being a man, you know, our, our job ought to be to protect and to respect women to whatever greater or lesser extent. And I, um, and you can't no honest person can come to the content of pornography and say that this uplifts and this ennobles women no honest person can can come to the content of pornography and say this is something that empowers and this is somewhat something something that lifts women up to a level of equality and, and strength you know and so there's that level right the social justice level um not to mention that you know, the level of victimhood that takes place um, against the, the actors. And you don't have to do very much research to find out the the connection between pornography and human trafficking, right? But, you know, just in terms of your, the personal impact on an individual, you know, the, the destruction of their relationships, you know, the um, for men, you know, the, it leads to impotence often, you know, where sort of because a human relationship can't measure up to, um, I guess, the... Um, the chemical thrill of uh, of what of the false uh, the false narratives that pornography pay, paints. What else? I could look, mate. I could sit here all day and tell you all of the negative impacts. Just the financial. A hundred billion dollars US per year is the is the profit of the pornography industry worldwide, um, which, by the way, is the number that the UN has put on um, how how much it would cost to make sure there was no hungry children in the world. You know, so that's just the profit of the pornography industry. Um, we could end world hunger um, if we stopped doing that. Like, yeah, I mean, is that enough for you? Or? Yeah, no, that's that's fantastic. Um, now, one one question that I've got that I got, I'll be honest, it, I think I'm I'm guilty of this too. But pornography doesn't just come in the form of of what is stereotypically pornography. There are many other different <laughs> platforms of what could be classed as pornography, such as, you know, in movies, there are some movies that where, where nudity is seen and, and where there's sexual content. So what are some, what are some, uh, some telling signs that, that could tell someone that they could be addicted to uh, pornography when they might not realize it? Mm, yeah, right. Well, <laughs> how, how does somebody know they're addicted if they, if they don't, if they can't realize it, that's the question. Well, yeah, right? that's that's true. Uh, well, I guess maybe to put it differently, what what are some different? What are some platforms of pornography that people may not realize? 
Mm, okay, I see what you're saying. Right. Okay, well, I mean, in um, the the word porneia, you know, in um, in Greek simply means immorality, and so the the word graphos um, in Greek it means writing, or I guess if you put it in in our modern context, any kind of media or um, or communication. So just put those two ideas together, and so if you've got immorality in communication, it's going to have the um, or in media, it's going to have the the effect of being stimulating um, sexually and have that have that effect on your brain um, and be potentially addictive. So I'm thinking about books, you know, like there's um, there's romance no- novels and things that are particularly targeted at women. And I use the word romance very, very loosely because women women tend to be more um, thought and imagination-based and uh, and men tend to be more sight and visually-based. That's not always the case, but, you know, generally speaking. So there are these kind of like erotic stories that they call romance novels that are particularly targeted at women. And, um, and, you know, these are really pornography. You know, if, if you spend more than 15 minutes reading them, it's not stories of people going on dates and love stories. It's stories about sex. Very, very explicit. And, um, you know, there's the, the really, really horrid series, the Fifty Shades series that came out a few years ago, you know, that was, um, yeah, that, that took that to a really, really obscene level. So, um, there's, there's that sort of thing. You know, you, obviously there's sex scenes in films, you know, sometimes a film would be rated, you know, M or, or whatever, and you're sort of not expecting that it's going to be too bad. But, I mean, what you're seeing is the first level of something that's going to draw you into a more explicit addiction. Um, even, even like, a lot of sort of kids' cartoons or whatever have got themes in them often, they, increasingly these days that are um, sort of sexual themes. And, um, and uh, yeah, so kids and kids' shows, you know, um, often uh, depict uh, sort of, I mean, people engaging in behaviour that is above, you know, what we'd want kids that age to engage in, you know. So, yeah. Yeah, no, look, Daniel, thank you so much for talking to, to us this morning. Uh, we've got some very powerful, powerful t- testimony from you there and some very powerful messages as well. Um, so, yeah, thank you so much for joining us. Um, and, yeah, we really appreciate it. Yeah, that's all good, man. And uh, so if, um, if I can sort of leave our, your listeners with anything, it's just this, that divine power plus human support equals growth. You know, you need both of those together. You can't have just one or the other. You need you need that real connection to a living God that steps down and gives you power to overcome. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Um, thank you so much for that, Daniel. Um, coming up next, we have got Blair and Emma Lemke with uh, a wonderful song. It is Stand Up. Back Shack and Benny were standing tall. Everyone else was hitting the floor They were following God instead of following men Bringing glory to God was their number one plan And they said even if we have to face the flames We will serve our God and stand today Stand up, stand up, no matter the feeling Stand up, stand up Stand up, stand up, and live for the Lord Daniel and his friends ate vegetables And everyone else was eating junk food And after ten days they looked oh so fine Obeying God's law will make 
It's that we purposed in our hearts to only eat the foods that God has said to Like Daniel Rackshack and Benny too Who will stand for the right Though the heavens fall Following God's word And giving their all And we say Even if we have to face the flames We will serve our God 